0: Hey, friends. Thanks for joining us for our next episode. We have missed you. Chloe and I have been incredibly busy over the past two months. So we took a little bit of a break. But we are excited to say that today's episode will be really, really great. And we have several episodes coming in the next few weeks. So stay tuned, join us. And thanks for all of your wonderful messages.
1: Josh, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. We are so excited to learn more about you and your journey, so welcome. Thank you. Thrilled to have you. And
0: so you're you're out on the West Coast, correct?
2: I am. I am in Los Angeles these days.
0: How's oh, wow. the weather?
2: Oh, it's, uh, you know, one of the great reasons to be out here is that uh, it's winter everywhere else, but uh, here, right. you know, we fluctuate <laughs> between... I don't know. It's 60 and 80.
1: (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's that's really nice. Yeah, it's freezing over here. But you were born in D.C.
2: Yeah, I was born in D.C., lived in Virginia. I grew up in Virginia, like southwest Virginia. Okay. So I don't really remember the time when my parents Mm -hmm. (laughs) lived in D.C., but um, yeah, I was born there technically.
0: So we really like to start out just asking how you got into the career that you're in, right? You seem to be doing a lot of amazing different things and just wondering who inspired you to get into the performing arts and just the arts in general.
2: Well, you know, it wasn't a natural leap from, you know, small town Virginia <laughs> to go to New York or Los Angeles or any of these things. So uh, it, it's interesting. I, I just the thing that that made me aware that theater even existed was, you know, I was I as you do in the South when you're a young male child, like your parents put you in all the sports stuff. And I was just terrible at all of it. I hated it. Um, I, I didn't get it at all. Um, and then I saw my sister doing high school plays and like community theater musicals. I remember seeing her in uh, Bye Bye Birdie. She was in the ensemble of Bye Bye Birdie at the local community theater. And, uh, and I just thought, well, that looks like fun. Why can't I do that? <laughs> like, Why do I have to try to play soccer and <laughs> flag football? And so, uh, and so I, that was kind of it. I started doing plays in middle school, like with tiny... I, my first play was a, a, a short play meant for students, called Standing Room Only, something no one's probably ever heard of. And uh, I had two lines at the very end of this 20-minute play, and I basically was, like, throwing up backstage because I was so nervous about it. Oh. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what possessed me to then think, I think I'll keep doing this. <laughs> this seems like... Right. Um, but for some reason, I kept doing it. And <laughs> and then, you know... Um, They, the the first musical came along. It was 1776 at the community theater in Franklin County, Virginia. I auditioned for the courier. If you know that show at all, it's the only possible young person in the show. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and I, so I played that not realizing that the magic of what that was, was that I was like 15 and had never sung in public. So I was just terrified um just deer in the headlights singing but weirdly the role it, it works great for that because he's singing about his friends dying on the battlefield at that age and calling out for their mothers like it, on you know it's it's this really beautifully sad dark you know, war song. And so to sing it with just deer in the headlights uh, mentality actually kind of worked. So (laughs) Uh, uh, that was the beginning of it all, you know, and from there, I just started taking it more and more seriously, doing what you're doing, you know, doing summer programs. And then that led to well I should go and get a degree in this and I did um uh and then from the degree I went straight to New York and started auditioning and that was that was that was it that's the sh- that's the short version of the story
0: <laughs> <laughs> were you scared when you went to New York and you were just auditioning
2: no um I wasn't and and the reason was because I was so naive I just had no mm-hmm. idea really how hard it was to make a living doing this I just had the mentality of, well, someone is going to be cast in these roles. And if if it's going to be someone, why not me? You know, like that was right. that was the just <laughs> wide eyed optimist viewpoint I had. Um, and I actually think it served me. I think that's the joy of youth is being able to have that sort of optimism. Um, uh, because, well, I'll tell you this story. I about a year out of college, I had never auditioned for tv and i went to my agents at the time and said hey i I think i'd like to audition for television like why not and after some push and pull they eventually got me an appointment for this uh abc series that ended up i ended well let me say it this way i they flew me out to do a screen test in los angeles because i was living in new york at the time and uh, of course, at that age, I, I just had, I had not, I'd never even auditioned for TV before. So I had no idea what a screen test even really was. I, <laughs> and I just, just went with the flow. So I was like, okay, I guess they fly everybody out to LA and that's just what they do. Um, so uh, it, it didn't, I don't know. I just didn't realize how significant the moment was. But, I got to the final screen test. There's only two other guys. And one of the guys I recognized from movies, you know, (laughs) and I and when we got there, the whole creative team came out of the audition room and saw that guy. And they all go, Oh, it's you. It's so great to see you again. The last time I saw you was on set with that thing that we were doing. And I was like, Oh, okay, well, there's no chance I can (laughs) there's no chance I'm gonna book this like obviously this guy is he's outranking me like there's no way I don't have any experience why would they hire me um and I went in I was the first to audition they pulled me in first I did the thing on my way out the one of the executives from ABC just kind of grabbed my arm she said how I don't know how you are so calm in this moment like there's just you just don't see it's like it doesn't seem to be affecting you right now uh and i was just like i don't know why you're telling me that but okay i i <laughs> I, I you know I'm, I'm as nervous as i feel like i should be but um but i walk out and then i sit down and i'm playing on my phone or doing whatever i was doing and the guy the um the guy i knew from the movies <laughs> he went in came back out he's pacing the waiting room and then he sees me and he comes over and he's just like I just have to ask, why are you so calm right now? And so now it's the second time I'm hearing this <laughs> within a few minutes. Oh. And I was just like, I don't, I don't know. What do you mean? And he said, he said I think it's because you are so young. Because he was, you know, probably six, seven years older than I am. And he, he said, I think you're just so young that you don't know what's happening right now. Like, you don't know what's at stake. Because <laughs> if you did, you just wouldn't be this calm. Because he was a nervous wreck. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right, and you, you probably didn't understand. You probably were like in the moment. You're like, let mm-hmm. me just do this thing. This sounds like fun. Okay, cool. And then exactly. people around you are freaking out. Right. Like if he books this, like this is a big deal. And you're sitting there like, well, whatever. whatever. Yeah, whatever.
2: I don't know. I, because I just didn't expect to book it anyway. Because I just felt like it was our, I was not really a contender. And I didn't know why I was even there. And I was just happy to be there. I was like, I was staying in a nice hotel. There was like, you know, mm-hmm. I, I was just giddy to be and this is pilot season, so this is during the winter. So New York is freezing and I'm in like a hot tub in a hotel that ABC <laughs> is paying for. So that that alone was just wow. fun to me at the time. So, yeah. was, <laughs> yeah. so I was just enjoying the, the moment and having a good time. And um, it turns out that's the thing people respond to the most. And it's much harder now because now I do know what's at stake now I am the older one who's like oh man but to book a tv series I mean that's that's a lot of money (laughs) you know like that's a (laughs) life-changing thing um so now it's much harder to get out of my own way but at the time I think one of my one of the reasons I had such early success was just having having fun with it and and not caring about the stakes (laughs) so uh it's one of the joys of youth that if I can Tell people who are that age to, to hold on to it. Please do it.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah, you were just having fun, and I love that. That's such a <laughs> interesting story. So I was wondering what your college application process was like and what your training was like at the school you attended.
2: So uh, I really had my heart set on one school, which was Carnegie Mellon. Mm-hmm wanted to go to Carnegie they only had like 12 students in the you know class and I loved that I was like I want that individual sort of attention Mm -hmm. and I had previously done a residential high school program with the uh, North Carolina School of the Arts which is now part of the university system but they were a college at the Mm -hmm. time so they had a college program but they had this additional like residential high school program so i went there and studied just straight acting just drama
0: this is uncsa that you did
2: yeah it's now called U uh, university of north carolina school of the arts yeah um yeah. Mm-hmm. so uh and they gave me this great foundation because you're working with the the college faculty the college acting faculty um mm-hmm. just a year earlier than you normally would um and I, they gave me a great foundation in acting um and but I knew that I could sing, but I but I also knew I wasn't trained enough, you know, that I needed more singing right. training. And so in my mm-hmm. brain at the time, I thought I need to go to a musical theater program where I'm going to be acting and singing because that's where I mm-hmm. think I'm going to be most marketable. And that was actually a wise idea at the time. I don't know, looking back, that I needed an actual musical theater degree I may because I'm not a dancer at all. And I mm-hmm. spent a lot of time trying to force a square peg in a round hole or whatever like i i i I took a lot of dance i spent a lot of hours doing dance training that never paid off for any real Mm. reason i never became i I just i'm just it's not a language my body speaks (laughs) (laughs) um and so i kind of wish i had spent more of that time just digging deeper into acting and maybe even deeper into singing stuff um or directing or whatever i got a lot accomplished in my undergrad so i don't want to shortchange it but um I may not have needed to go to a musical theater school I could have just taken you know singing classes and stuff on the side or something um but uh but I wanted to go to a musical theater program so I so I had my heart set on Carnegie um while I was auditioning though I went to those big sort of they they meet in big cities and you audition for like 20 schools all at once kind of thing so I auditioned for Carnegie but I also (laughs) on a whim I hadn't even applied but uh, one of my faculty advisors from uh, UNCSA said, you know, you should also audition for the Boston Conservatory because they're here and they have slots open. And uh, in case you don't get into Carnegie, maybe you should go there. Right. And I had just not even thought about what happens if I don't get into Carnegie because, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I just, again, at that age, I'm just not thinking of it. Um, so, uh, So I ended up auditioning for Boston. I had a bunch of other side schools that were lower on the list and I don't mean to to disparage any of the, these programs um but at the time they were sort of b-tier programs um I, I won't even name them because I don't want right. to <laughs> want them to think I'm being negative toward yeah, them but of course. um you know they weren't the top the big you know top five or six mm-hmm. musical theater programs um I also just didn't want to be in Michigan so I I ruled that out NYU was too expensive so
1: <laughs> right
2: The short story is, I did not get into Carnegie. I did, and I ended up going to Boston Conservatory. That is a private school has no major sort of funding outside of the tuition that people pay. So it, uh, at least at the time, they didn't. Now they've been bought by Berkeley, Mm -hmm. so Berkeley College of Music, which is a much more endowed school. (laughs) um, uh, Now it's uh, Boston Conservatory is part of that larger program, so they they're much more fiscally sound now than they were when I was there. Um, And the program is totally changed. So it's it's like I could tell you about my experiences there. But the faculty is all different. The leadership is all different. The school (laughs) is literally owned by a different group. So um, the program is totally there's a whole nother theater department there. There's the musical theater department and the contemporary theater Mm -hmm. department that didn't even exist while I was there. Um, So there's a lot of it's much more flexible than it was when I was there. But that said, I the one thing I will say about them is I came in and said I I also want to write and direct so and you don't have any anything in the program about that so I'd like to do it on the side would you give me theater space and I'll come up with a budget and I'll write and direct my own projects here and they totally let me do it they gave me they gave me the space they gave me a faculty advisor and they were basically like if you want to create we will support that whether it's terrible or brilliant or whatever like we're just we're here to support your creativity and that was a huge deal at the time and has stayed with me my for the my whole career um that level of sort of i don't know inventiveness and creativity like i i'm always doing weird little side projects that people may or may not ever hear about but um but I feel like that's part of the life of an artist. Uh, most of us like to have that creative freedom. And they gave me that opportunity. And I don't know that every school would have. So that's the biggest thing I I praise them for is, is doing that. And really their whole program now, from what I understand, is geared toward um, finding whatever it is people are really interested there. Whether they sign up for musical theater and they end up becoming composers, you know, that's okay. They're embracing that in a way that they might have been resisting it a little back in the day. Now they're f- actively trying to, to suss that out for, for students. And I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm.
0: Did you end up going to new york from there did they provide career services did they provide you a network that you could get in touch with and then were you doing internships like how did you get yourself to new york
2: well they did bring in a lot of industry folks to uh to do workshops and stuff while i was there so um the agent i ended up signing with was an agent who came to the school and did a workshop with us so he He worked with everybody uh, in the class. Um, We did do a showcase uh, in New York, which any of the agents in New York could come see. But I ended up signing with the one who had worked with me the most because he had come and done a uh, workshop. So uh, that was my first agent. And so that was directly through the resources of the school. They also brought in a music director who worked at goodspeed opera house which is a great musical theater uh institution um just outside of new york in connecticut um and he they were doing that summer the summer i graduated they were doing a production of a show called where's charlie and where's charlie is a musical from the 1940s uh, not done that much anymore but uh ray bolger starred in it if you don't know who ray bolger is he played the the scarecrow in the original movie of the wizard of oz Mm-hmm. Um, in 1939, so he was this old sort of, you know, Broadway staple, uh, song and dance man, and I happened to look a lot like him.
0: <laughs> I was gonna just tell you that.
2: <laughs> Ever since then, um, most most shows I do, some critics always compares me to Ray, um, so it's <laughs> it's it's an ongoing thing. But anyway, the the music director for that show had done the workshop and he basically brought me in for the auditions. Cause he was like, look, we're doing the show. You look just like him. You should audition. They had already cast that role. Ray, the title role of Charlie with some, a Broadway vet, Noah Racy, mm-hmm. if anybody's keeping score. Um, uh, and, but what, what they needed was an understudy for him. And so I went in and auditioned for the director, Tony Walton, um, uh, who's also a fantastic sort of well-known, you know, (laughs) dozens of awards, you know, Tonys and whatever. He's he's a pretty uh, great one to know. But he... Uh he saw me and as soon as I walked in the door he just leaned over to the casting assistant and said, He looks just <laughs> like Ray Bulger. <laughs> um, so they ended up casting me in that. I got my equity card weeks after graduation um to start that show in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. It ran for three months or something, so that took me into the fall. Um so I got an apartment, but I immediately sublet it um because I was out doing the show. I came back with my equity card and, and an agent and you know, I was sort of I sort of hit the ground running right mm-hmm. out of school, which was really lucky. Um, and I say lucky because it, w- it was what were the odds that they were doing a show that I happened to look like the guy who originated it in the 1940s. And they were interested in that. Like, there's a lot of that's all luck. Like, you can't predict that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: You know, no one. Yeah. So, so that's the piece of it. That's like, let's just be real. The reason I hit the ground running was not because I was so ready and so well trained and whatever. It was because I was lucky, you know, um, right, and that yeah. is such a part of it. So there it is out in the cold, open light of day.
0: You were also younger, and you you knew you wanted to do this, and so you had that same strong, brave attitude of, hey, like, this is fun. Like, I'm <laughs> going to go do this.
2: Sure. And, you know, look, I'll, I'll always give credit where credit is due. Um, as Seneca said this, mm-hmm. Seneca, the famous Roman philosopher, but Oprah quotes it a lot <laughs> if you're an Oprah yes. fan, which is luck is where... Um, preparation meets opportunity. Um, And I think that's right. You know, I I think they didn't cast me just because I looked like Ray Bolger. I also had prepared a lot to be, you know, a comic, you know, character actor who could sing pretty well. You know, that was my thing. So had I not been able to sing, had I not had the comic chops, I don't think they would have Cast me, But the Mm -hmm. fact that I had those because I had prepared for all that as best I could, then when the opportunity came, we're looking for somebody who kind of looks like Ray Bolger, that would be a great fit, then then great, I'm there (laughs) for you. (laughs) So there is something to it.
0: Yeah. And then in terms of all of your opportunities, I mean, how did you get signed with an agent? You know, you're in college. And so do you just do they come to the school to recruit? Do they did you seek them out? Because I know it's really hard to get signed.
2: Yeah, there's a million paths for this, and it's really hard now, especially because musical theater programs didn't even exist until the mid-1980s. And then, so by the time I got there, they'd only been around for 15 years, you know? Um, uh, And so the ones who were most known were the ones who got there first, like Boston Conservatory and Carnegie Mellon and NYU and uh, and Michigan. Um, So now... That that has become such a staple. There are hun- probably hundreds of musical theater, you know, mm-hmm. BFA programs out there now from mm-hmm. all kinds of different colleges all over the country, and they used to only be in major cities, basically, except for Michigan, maybe. Um, uh, and now they're everywhere, you know, and that becomes a problem for recruiting for agencies because they just nobody that 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 would be more than a full-time job seeing every student that graduates with a musical theater degree in 2021 um so it's hard to get their attention now much harder than it was when i graduated mm-hmm. 20 years ago um
0: <laughs> almost
2: 20 years ago so i so i want to say up front that this is not quite the same thing uh, that i dealt with but um yeah the the truth is the the school paid to have the agents come and do workshops so they, they housed them for the weekend, they did a few days with us, and then they went back to New York. That is probably the strongest way for agents to get familiar with you. The, the agents aren't really coming there to scout because they don't need to. There's so many actors who are looking for agents you know, in the city that they don't need to go look in, in in college programs to find them. So the only reason they would is if the college paid them, I think, if if I'm being just as honest as I can be yeah and the same is true with showcases when you come back to new york a lot of a lot of programs do Mm -hmm. a new york city showcase so they do a little show and it's you know 45 minutes long (laughs) hopefully Uh, with a school like boston that has like 50 kids graduating or 60 or whatever it's a big class then that might be longer than 45 minutes and that gets to the point where agents just don't Mm -hmm. go because it's too much time commitment um which is another thing that we could get into but um but the truth is with 200 showcases they just can't go to all of them and the ones that they will go to are the ones that they have relationships with um uh the ones that they've already been going to and they know have the top talent um because they're basically letting the colleges become the gatekeepers to to the agencies so if you didn't get into one of the big schools then they're assuming that says something when the truth is it doesn't because you look at look at the schools that you know some of the greatest broadway vets went through. So, yes, some of them did go to those big schools, right. but a lot of them didn't. A lot of them came from places right, right. you've never heard of, because they're the only person who came from that institution that is, you know, recognized, uh, you know, yeah. in a big way. Um, and that just goes to show it, it doesn't really affect things that much. But it does give you a slight leg up when it comes to getting attention from uh, agents who are interested in developing talent.
0: Do you feel that having an internship throughout your process in between shows or even before you even landed some of the amazing performances that you were able to land you know whether it was Lumière in a regional theater or whether in an off-Broadway production did you have internships in between
2: never once did an internship part of that was I'm gonna be really straightforward on this Um, internships are a privilege that only the privileged can do because unless you have someone paying your bills internships don't pay anything for the most part and if they do they're stipends that are not going to scratch the surface of what it costs to live in a city like new york i just I, i could never afford to do an internship even if i had wanted to uh my i was on my own you know my parents were supportive but they just didn't have the money to financially support me in a city like that so it was never an option um that said my wife um the first thing she did out of college she graduated from marymount manhattan college from their musical theater program and first thing she did out of college was she went and, and interned for bernie telsey's casting office and she she basically credits that internship with everything she needed to know about like the business side of, of the, of theater, how, uh, casting worked, how agencies worked, cause she was interacting with the agents, um, who were submitting people, uh, seeing that behind the scenes look was a major, uh, part of her education. So, um, so I, I, I totally celebrate the idea of it cause I know And she she made uh, contacts through that, through that uh, internship that led to her getting her first agent um, and uh, making relationships with casting uh, folks, Um, some of whom still work at Telsey, some of whom went on to create their own um, thing or moved on to other uh, uh, talent uh, casting agencies. But uh, but she knows all of them on a first name basis because of that internship. And they bring her in. She can email some of them directly about projects sometimes. Like there's stuff like that where it, there's a real reason to do it for networking and for just education. So I, I totally celebrate it. But uh, just to be honest, I, I could never do it. You know, I, I needed to make money, I, I couldn't devote that much time and resource without financial compensation. And it's one of the problems. There is a big movement right now. I am. Um, I'm one of the delegates for Actors' Equity. Um, they have a convention, and the dele- we're basically <laughs> like the Congress of yeah, cool. <laughs> the union. And uh, so I, I was elected to represent the Western uh, delegation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, But one of the things that we're dealing with now is there's a lot of people pushing back against the intern culture because uh, in theater, there's a lot of regional theaters specifically that hire I put higher in quotes, but they, they, they bring in a lot of interns that are not paid to do a lot of the, the labor for the, for the uh, theater company to the point that it's a, it's a question of like, is this, is this for them or is this for you? You know, Uh, are you just not hiring full-time employees anymore because you want free labor? Um, If that's the case, then we have a problem. So there's a, there's a magnifying glass slowly creeping in on the internship culture. Um, but, uh, that said, there is obvious mm-hmm. value to it. So um, that's my full <laughs> range of internship thoughts. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, you you love to write, and I see that you wrote a book. Um, so how, how did you get this inspiration to write it? And will you ever write more in the future?
2: <laughs> <laughs> These are great questions. Um, uh, first of all because uh, I know this is sort of a well, I don't know, you tell me I, I feel like this is a theater aimed podcast, so and the book has nothing to do with theater so um it, I never even mention it. I talk about my work, so if you know who I am, you would know he must be talking about something in 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 the entertainment industry um but but when you when you say to anybody in the muggle world <laughs> world meaning not yeah. theater world. <laughs> uh when when you when you tell anybody in the muggle world that you are in show business it captures so much of their attention that it's hard for them to, to see through it and because the book has nothing to do with that i didn't even want right. to put that in there cuz i knew it would be a distraction <laughs> to non you know theater readers um but so uh, so just to, to clarify, anybody who's interested in the book, um, but the inspiration for it is really just my, my journey with spirituality in general. Um, I grew up very conservative Christian and uh, fell away from that for a variety of reasons that the book kind of touches on. And then I had this crazy sort of mm, <laughs> uh, accidental prescription <gasps> drug overdose during a minor dental thing that i had to do that things just went off the rails and i had this i ended up having this huge hallucination in which i met god and had this huge uh experience and so the i I was talking about it for a few years afterwards you know with a lot of different people because i it you know it was important Mm -hmm. to me for a lot of reasons and Mm -hmm. and then people eventually were like you should just put this in a book so i eventually did that was that that's the whole sort of nutshell version of what happened (laughs) um uh yeah but the book is called god in my head and you can probably mm-hmm. suss out what that might entail. But um, yeah, but it was it's a fun little thing. It's still out there uh, selling relatively well for a, a little thing. I originally published it myself because I didn't think anybody <laughs> would want to publish it because it was so weird. Um, but then a couple years later, the sales were good enough, I suppose, that it got a publisher's attention. And then they uh, republished it under their uh, company um, and made an audio book mm-hmm. out of it. I wanted to do the audiobook myself since I I'm an actor and I thought that would be fun to do, but they had their system set up. So they hired their own people. <laughs> so it's not my voice on the, <laughs> on the audiobook in case you were hoping, <laughs> but, uh, but he's good. He's, you know, he's a, he's a pro audiobook guy and, um, and it came out good. So, uh, so there's, there's options out there for people who want to see it, but that's, that's how that, that came about. A
0: good for you. Very creative, you know, just taking it in the moment of what's happening and just like writing yeah. it all down. That's great
2: yeah and i do i will say this i i am kicking around that idea and i've kicked around this idea for a while of writing a book sort of um a professional actor's handbook from Mm. beginning to end and i really mean this because there's a lot of books in the ballpark this that talk about agents and talk about um Mm. auditioning a lot of books on auditioning Mm. um and i i thought but there isn't really a straight up handbook for like going from what are the protocol at the very beginning, the first idea, I love this so much, that idea, all the way to how do I collect my retirement yes. and get my pension from the unions. There's nothing that just nuts and bolts, like not a fun read necessarily, but just an honest read about here's, here's what people do. Collecting unemployment, like so many people, again, in the muggle world don't realize how much the theater community relies on unemployment insurance. Every time we, our jobs end, we, we qualify. It's not a welfare program. It's an insurance program. We're, we're collecting back the money that we gave the state to, to help us in this moment. But it's such a pivotal thing that nobody teaches in college, partly because I think we're embarrassed to buy it. It sounds really bad. <laughs> uh, but the truth is 90% or 95% of union actors are perpetually unemployed um, or go in and out of employment throughout the year. So just nuts and bolts of being like, remove the stigma from it pull the curtain back and just say here's what you can expect in the real world of having to try to financially make this work uh so anyway i've always wanted to to put that book together so the truth is i'm getting more and more into academia now i'm teaching a lot more um the pandemic really shoved me over the edge in that (laughs) that place because that's where i've sort of been surviving you know um during the pandemic since the theater world shut down but uh, but but writing in the academic environment is a big deal because it helps you through a tenure process. So I'm kind of sitting on this, <laughs> uh, putting together some of the scraps um, so that when I, if I'm ever in a tenure track, I can hammer it out because it would be more or less a scholarly type book instead of just a for fun book. So anyway, to answer to the second question you asked, uh, there is another book sort of in the pipeline that would deal directly with theater. I don't know how many people would, <laughs> I don't know, maybe this would be the perfect uh, demographic to find that book but I really want to call it Defense Against the Dramatic Arts.
1: <gasps> I love that. I love that title. <laughs> it's Harry. So you gotta, you've got to write <laughs> it now <laughs> <laughs> before somebody else. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no.
2: I know, I know. Yeah, I need to trademark it. That would be it. really oh. big, especially awesome. with Chloe's generation. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we will definitely read it.
0: You really need something that's that's really honest and transparent because you go into it blind. You can do all the research that you want, you can, you know, talk to different people within the network, but who's really going to give you that transparent perspective. So I think that would be really good to, to get it done. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I find a lot of people who have written those books have not been people who have been in the trenches of the mm-hmm. audition circuit, but they are casting directors, they're agents, um, and they're academics, people who teach about it aren't it's not what they do day in and day out and there's just a different understanding of what it is when you're on the inside of it so that's one of the reasons why i, I wanted to do it but we'll see we'll see how it goes next <laughs> good good We will. Well, you know.
0: we'll, and when you've written it then we'll talk to you again and we can find out a little
1: <laughs> we'll more read it. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah i love that and so in terms of your current project so it sounds like due to covid a lot of people were thrown into different kinds of working environment so it sounds like you're teaching a lot now and you know what kind of projects are you working
2: well I've kind of uh, um, I, I moved to LA to to take a break from the eight show a week model um, I was really fortunate to have done a few years back-to-back uh, different shows that were long-running shows off-Broadway um, Broadway national tours and uh it's great but it is really taxing on your on your life you know uh and you hear people say it a lot but i'll say it here is going into this is yes it is a career but more than that it really is a lifestyle that you're you're sort of signing up for because um, it flips society on its head when everybody else is waking up and going to work you're sleeping <laughs> and you wake up and you're the middle of your day is the eight o'clock curtain time um uh Your morning is the two o'clock matinee. Um, And it it just shifts everything. When everybody else has weekends free, that's when you're the busiest because you're doing four show weekends or five show weekends. Uh, When everybody else is celebrating holidays, you're not. You're You're entertaining. (laughs) You're staying in town and you're doing the show again for the tourists who don't celebrate those holidays and wanted something to do. You know, um, for a while it's fun and it's different and whatever. But then... Your family starts to get tired of you never being there. You know, you're not there when when the nephew is born. You're not there for the wedding. You're not there for the funeral. You're not there on somebody's deathbed. Or if you are, it's in and out really quick, and you're losing money when it happens, so it's a double kick. You know, there's just a lot of layers to it that are very difficult. And I think that ends more careers in entertainment than anybody gives credit to. Again, something I'd like to call out in a book and tell people, you know, like, hey, just, just know, here's what you're up against. Um, so coming to L.A. partly was to to accommodate that and say, OK, you know, my dream was to be on Broadway and to originate a role. And I did that. So um, the, the that's a beautiful, powerful thing, you know, that I can kind of walk away with my head held high a little. And um, not that I never want to do Broadway again, but. It is, a, it is a dream that is sort of now in in the rear view mirror. I don't, there's nothing in my DNA that kind of tells me I need to continue to do that forever. Um, and so LA is kind of the next frontier. And I've done some TV, but you know, it's not my main thing. Um, uh, so, devoting a lot of time out here was a was a choice. And before the pandemic hit, I was doing okay out here. Like I was hitting some some projects and uh, and really loved them. I did a project out here It was an NBC pilot called mm. Like Magic. Um, it didn't end up end up getting picked up to series, but the pilot was awesome and it was a great time to shoot. It was mm-hmm. me and Rory O'Malley, um, mm-hmm. another Broadway guy, uh, as this sort of Siegfried and Roy type magic duo yeah, in Vegas uh it was a really silly thing and there's some great photos that came from it (laughs) um but uh but that and you know a little commercial work and stuff like that now that the world is reopening theater is not reopening but film and tv and commercial are basically full-on back the auditions are hot and heavy for those right now so um uh i'm mainly focusing on that uh and my agents are are really you know doing really well for me in terms of getting getting me out there right now but that's a that's that page has just started Yay. to really you know open or turn over i don't know uh, what analogy lots I'm of use hope there, but <laughs> uh, it's really starting to starting to fly so so that's where my my guns are kind of aimed right now for the industry is is film tv and commercial that's why i came out here it and I've done a few theater gigs out here just for fun because they're, they're short. You know, they only run for three or four weeks. And so I did, me and my wife actually did Beauty and the Beast out here at a local regional Aww. house. And it was so much fun. I've always wanted to play Lumiere because it's just a fun <laughs> role. So there's some stuff I do just for because just it's really fun to do. Um, and a great little company too. Um, La Mirada Theater, it's called. But she played a napkin and I played a candlestick. And Aww, it's just, that's, that's you know, <laughs> what's better than that?
1: <laughs> yeah. That's very fun. Speaking of roles, do you have a dream role, a favorite role that you'd want to play?
2: There's a lot that I never got around to doing. You know, I've never played Seymour in Little Shop. And it's just one that just seems like it would be a lot of fun to do. And you can kind of, he's kind of ageless. Like I always thought of him as really young, but actually he he could be kind of any age. Um, (laughs) uh, Same with Audrey. Uh, there's that in, in terms of musical theater I have if I was going to come back and do New York I really I just have my heart set on some of the what we here's another phrase we call muggles you know people who don't work in the industry another phrase you might hear <laughs> in the in the theater community is um, government jobs and government <laughs> jobs are the shows that are not going anywhere so Phantom of the Opera Hamilton wicked lion king you know the jobs that you don't have to check the weekly (laughs) box office numbers to see like are we doing okay like are we going to close soon you know which is what every other show is doing um uh lion king and hamilton and whatever you just you just ride the wave it's just a blissful mm-hmm. you know you, you come in you do your show you go home and you don't worry about it um those are the shows that i would want to do if i was going to come back and do theater again so i can tell you the exact roles it's zazu in the lion king doesn't even sing oh. so you just the only annoyance is putting on the makeup <laughs> uh you can do it with, you can do it with the flu you know it's it, not that we would anymore because now that covid's happened no one's coming to coming to work sick anymore um True. that that era has passed but there's Zazu, the king in Hamilton, for sure. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. If I can still sing that high for that long, I don't know. We'll find oh, out. I'm sure, you can. <laughs> the, the I've always said this. I want to play Andre, the theater owner in Phantom. Um, he's one of the prima ah. donna guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, those are the he's the staples so that I that I want. I could play the I could play Doctor Dillman in Wicked.
0: Yep. Yep. I could oh, see that. God.
2: I'm aiming for the the, the cash cow shows, the, the government jobs. Those are the ones that I <laughs> that I'd want to do next. <laughs> yes. I, I have some friends who have done some of those shows for truly years and years, like decade or more. And some of them are holding up really well. Like this I just I love this life. I have a steady paycheck. Uh my my kids have health insurance. Like everything's good. And some of them are losing their minds you know, like, I don't even know what I'm, what I, I'm not an actor anymore. I'm like a factory worker. I just come in and I do the show and I go home and it's not, there's nothing creative about this anymore because I've been doing it for too long. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's two sides to that coin and you've got to decide which, which path is right for you. But, uh, it sounds like a pretty, uh, pretty nice, comfortable thing. The older you get, the more you're like, you know, I think I'd like to just have a steady paycheck. <laughs>
1: Um, what would you tell young people today who are in high school, who, who are just interested in pursuing a career in the arts? Just overall general advice for people that want to go into this field.
2: I would say, first of all, um, do this. And, I, and this is going to get me in hot water for some of the academics. Train as cost effectively as possible, um, because what you need is training in terms of the arts. You don't need a degree nobody is checking to see did they get a bfa oh they got a ba well i'm not as interested in casting them now they don't care nobody cares they only care what you do in the room you know it is purely skill based um uh and and whatever whatever resonates it might not even be have anything to do with skill but um it's stuff that is outside of the scope of training where a degree helps you is if you want to do anything else you know it uh and just to be clear, and I think students should know this in high school and beyond, 75% of all college students do not go on to work in the field that they studied. 75% of all college students. That doesn't matter if you studied physics or English or theater or engineering or anything else. So knowing that is is critical. What you need, In our industry is training you can do that in cheaper ways than getting a four-year degree i'm not uh poo-pooing a four-year degree i think it's uh, the most common thing the most successful people tend to have a four-year degree in in the arts in some way but it's not the only path and you could totally study that on the side of something else um and there would that would not be a hindrance to you um we did a study in 2019 through loyola marymount's um Uh, grad program that looked at this that looked at the numbers and 20 some percent of successful Broadway or national tour performers uh, had degrees in stuff that had nothing to do with theater they had journalism degrees and you know biology degrees and you know they but they just liked theater and did it on the side and they trained on the side and they did it well enough that they got cast in big stuff. That's 20% of the people who succeed. That's 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 a wild number. Um, that's a big percentage. Um, granted, we could also say 80% studied just theater and they needed that training for four solid years in a really solid way. So uh, knowing your path one thing, but whatever it is, however you decide to do it, I just recommend doing it in the most cost-effective way possible. If you went to any bank and said, I have this dream of being on Broadway and I would like you to give me $200,000 to see if it could happen. No bank would ever write you that check. No, none of them. However, if the government says, um, you cannot write this debt off in bankruptcy. So no matter what happens, you will pay this debt back. Then the bank will say, sure, you can, you can study whatever you want. Here's a blank check. And that's a problem. And it's a double-edged sword because some people can't get access to the education without it. So we want them to be able to get the access. We want education to be accessible to everybody. But at the same time, does the investment make sense? Absolutely not. The statistics are very bad. Um, so just knowing that these are all the elements at play, a lot of times we don't, we don't, no one has this candid conversation with us when we're 18 or 17. And the truth is, I think 17 and 18-year-olds are entirely capable of comprehending this level of complex reasoning. And I think they should be given the chance so that they know this is what I'm up against and this is how the system is is working. Because when everybody says, go for it, there's no problem here. The bank tells you that. The government tells you that. Your parents sometimes tell you that. The schools certainly tell you that. They get this misconception that there is no problem when, in fact, there's a huge problem, (laughs) which is the cost you know you know risk reward uh, ratio here there's a lot of other things you can do with a theater degree but we're not necessarily teaching you how to do those things currently in academia i think we should i think we should focus on transferable skills and it's a big pitch that i'm making in that world right now
1: that, that was awesome advice and thank you so much for joining us loved having you and we loved hearing all about your story and your advice
0: yeah, it's been great having you,
1: Josh. Thank you so much for joining
2: us. Oh, Happy to be here. Thanks, guys. And hope maybe I'll see you again sometime after my next book. We'll come back and we'll do it again.